Well, praise the Lord. Amen. I feel like I could just sit down and just do the invitation right now, but I won't. Turn, if you would, to Ezra chapter 5. Ezra chapter 5. We're going through the book of Ezra. The theme that God is more interested in rebuilding people than he is rebuilding buildings. Ezra chapter 5, and we think this morning about the topic, move it, move it. I, I couldn't remember in the first service who said that. And then uh, Daniel Fisher caught me out front, and he said, Sergeant Carter said that on Gomer Pyle. Move it, move it, all right? That's kind of where we are this morning. Move it, move it. Ezra chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. Then the prophets, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Ido, uh, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. At the same time came to them Tetnai, the governor on this side of the river, and uh, Shitharbozai and their companions, and, sa and said thus unto them, Who hath commanded you to build this house and to make up this wall? Then said we unto them after this manner, What are the names of the men that make this building? But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, that they would not cause them to cease till the matter came to Darius. And then they returned, answered by letter, concerning this matter. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for always being there with us, for never leaving us nor forsaking us. Thank you for carrying us through the fire. Thank you, Lord, that whatever we have that we're facing, you're bigger than that right now. And I pray this morning your Holy Spirit would roam through this building, touch the lives of children and young people, adults, senior adults. God, that you would draw us close to you in this very day. Lord, we'd not make excuses. We'd not put things off and procrastinate. But God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would say yes to you, whatever you ask us to do today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Maybe this morning, sitting in this auditorium, there are people who have matters that need to be rebuilt or renewed. Maybe you've got a marriage that needs to be rebuilt or renewed this morning. Maybe you've got a testimony at work that needs to be rebuilt or renewed this morning. Maybe you've got a testimony at school. There was a time when folks thought you loved Jesus, but just like you heard Tammy say, suddenly something happened. Maybe you need to rebuild that this morning. I want to tell you, when we start rebuilding, there are three things we've got to keep into consideration, and Ezra 5 and 6 tells those three things. Number one, there's something we've got to do. Number two, there's something you can expect the devil to do. And number three, there's something you can count on God to do. So let's just look at this. The first thing is when we're ready to rebuild something or we're, we're ready to do something for God, the first thing is to be obedient to God's word. 
to be obedient to God's word. I find it amazing that God, when he wanted to talk to the children of Israel, uh, he didn't send a light show. He didn't send a fog machine. He didn't send a retired quarterback to tell us a testimony. He didn't send Miss Jerusalem to talk about how beautiful she was. He sent three hellfire, sin-hating, devil-chasing prophets, Malachi, Nehemiah, and Zechariah. They'd already preached to the people what the problem were. The people already knew what the problem was because they'd already been preaching it. Their first problem was they were afraid. I have never in my life of 67 years seen more fear in people than what is going on right now. I mean, people afraid, they're, they're, they're afraid. Listen, fear not. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Over and over, we have that promise in the Word of God. These people were afraid, and then they were apathetic. That means in East Texas, they didn't give a rip. I mean, there was a time, maybe, how about you, when, when there was a time when you were Maybe upset because you went through a whole service and somebody didn't walk down the aisle and be saved. But it's become commonplace now. And so now we're not worried that nobody gets saved. We're not worried that God doesn't move. We're just having a good time praising the Lord. And I'm thankful for that. Listen, I've been in some churches where you didn't have a good time praising the Lord. So I'm thankful for that. But that's not the ultimate task of a New Testament church. And then they were affluent. They were affluent. You know, uh, back when we were kids, when I was a kid, Baptists were poor. In fact, the only people that were more poor than Baptists were the Pentecostals. I mean, they were dirt poor. But I'll tell you, we got a hold of God. They knew how to get a hold of God. Now we've been, there are now more than 47,000 Southern Baptist churches in the United States. We've got billions upon billions of dollars of assets, and yet we're not baptizing as many people now with 8 billion people in the earth as we were in the 50s. Wow. I remember as the Pope was taking a guy through the Vatican and looking at all the silver and the gold, and, and he looked at him and he said, no longer do we have to say silver and gold have I none. We got plenty. The guy looked at the Pope and he said, yeah, but no longer can we say rise up and walk either. Mm. Spending everything on themselves. If you take the, the Bible and begin to move forward and rebuild and revive, it comes by the hearing of the word of God. I love it that the people didn't get mad. They didn't get upset. They said, you're right. God is right. Let's roll up our sleeves and get busy. And they went back to work. Now, let, let, let's see how they did it. First of all, I want you to understand something. Their preaching was straight. You, you think your preacher is a straight preacher. Buddy, I couldn't stand up next to Ezra, Nehemiah, or, or Haggai, or any one of those. I mean, they were straight preachers. They were blunt. They were plain. They were bold. Surely, after they got through... Somebody came by and said, oh, Brother Nehemiah, I want you to know my feelings were hurt yesterday. You hurt my feelings. Now, I'm not against what you said. The content was all right. It's the way you said it. 
I, listen, get the lace off your Levi's and suck it up and get in the Word of God. Amen? Good grief. I want to tell you the truth this morning. You, you can say that the content's all right. I just don't like the way it's presented, but you're lying. You don't like the content, and because you don't like the way it's presented, you're thinking, I don't have to listen to it because I don't like the way it was presented. Well, you're still responsible for the Word of God no matter how it's presented. These guys were straight. Listen, I can't go into all the details and everything, but in our staff meetings as we're praying and we're, we're looking at the future of this church and making sure ministries stay on track and, and trying to second guess what the devil's going to sling at us next there, all in our, we've got children next door in the third, fourth, fifth grade who are asking questions what, what does it mean to be a transgender? What, what does it mean? I'm talking about our children. I'm not talking about street children out here. I'm talking about children in our church. Somebody's going to have to tell them the truth. And they need to hear the truth. Listen, well, don't tell my, my children. I'm, I'm trying to protect my children. Your children are not as dumb as you think they are. They know more than what you give them credit for. I'm telling you, somebody needs to tell our children and our young people, abortion is still murder. It's sin. It's wrong. It, homosexuality, living, all of those things. Living together and not being married is still sin. Don't you expect God to bless your home when you won't even do what God said do? Say, preacher, I love the content, but you're hurting my feelings. Get over it. Get over it. People, they want truth as long as it doesn't pertain to them. Amen? I can preach on homosexuality and people will shout you down. But I can change over and say, hey, we ought to love one another. And people, mm, there's just some people I can't love. <laughs> I can start preaching on giving. Hmm. You'd be surprised at the people in this church that are parking on somebody else's dime. My daddy used to do that. We raised in Corrigan. We'd go to Livingston every Saturday morning. He'd circle that courthouse, circle that courthouse, circle that. You know what he's looking for? A parking meter that had a dime left on it. And there are a lot of folks in churches this day that are parking on somebody else's dime. I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you straight, you will never be blessed until you learn to give what God has asked you to give. You're not going to be blessed. Let, let me just ask you, do, do you think as a pastor, and I'm not just talking about me, I'm talking about pastors, period. Do you think that we ought to be the, the condition the world is in, that we ought to be standing up here in this holy sacred desk saying, I will tell y'all, y'all are doing a great job. We're just doing a great job. Folks are being saved. The world's being transformed. We're feeding people. We're taking in immigrants. We're, we're doctoring people. We're educating people. Y'all are doing a great job. I don't think so. I don't think so. 
I think God is calling men with a backbone and an intestinal fortitude with some thick skin that will stand up and say, thus saith the word of God. Jeremiah was a weeping prophet. Isaiah, no one would accept. Somebody said, if the preaching always seems like a hammer, stop being a nail. They come up to Billy Sunday, one lady did, and said, Mr. Sunday, I'll tell you right now, you rubbed me the wrong way. He said, turn the cat around. (laughs) Maybe this morning, (laughs) you need to realize these preachers were straight, buddy. They, They don't have, we ain't got nothing on them. They were straight. They were bold. The second thing, though, that I see here is these prophets had different personalities. God sent the prophets. uh, It's almost like a good cop, bad cop thing. Uh, You you got Haggai, he's got his feet on the ground, but you got Zechariah, he's got his head in the clouds. You got Haggai who preaches black and white, and you got Zechariah over here that is a dreamer. They're, They're saying the same thing, they're just doing it differently. They got different personalities. Haggai, he starts out saying, you bunch of backslidden, sorry, lazy, carnal, wicked Jews. (laughs) Zechariah, though, says, God's got great plans for you, but you've got to repent. They're both saying the same thing. They just use different personalities. Haggai is saying, God's going to ring your bell, turn or burn. And then you got Zechariah saying, God's going to use you in a powerful way, but you've got to get right with God first. Bill Sturm the great evangelist. The lady asked him, why don't you preach more encouraging sermons? He looked at her and he said, I don't know anything that will encourage you more for you to get your black heart right with God. Now, I want to tell you this morning, I don't know of anything that would encourage families more than if mamas and daddies, husbands and wives got their hearts right before God and said, we're going to have a godly family. What does that mean for us today, all of this? It simply means that we ought to evaluate preaching by the Word of God, not by how we feel, not by how the personalities are, not by what we want or anything. Was it the truth in the Word of God? I read about that preacher that went to Walmart and met one of his wayward members. That's where preachers go to find wayward members in Walmart. They're all there. <laughs> and uh, he met him. He said, wow, man, we've been missing you. And he began to talk about all the things that were in their life. He said, we've got, had some sickness, and I've been working, and we've been traveling. And, and he said, all this rain. Man, it has rained and rained and rained. He said, well, I want to tell you, i got good news. Our church sits up on a hill, and it's dry. Our church is always dry. He said, that's the other reason we don't come because the church is dry. Now, I'm not telling you that the truth ought to be dry. I think it ought to be presented in a way that honors the Lord and be excited. I really do. I think that. But, but listen, we'd be better off with a boring sermon of somebody who told us the truth than we should, would some flash in the pan get up and try to just motivate us. The project also was heavenly. Verse 2 says, they rose up Zerubbabel and Jeshua and began to build the house of God. You see, we, we, we think of God as doing big things. God's a big God. But God told them, you see these rocks over here? Start cleaning them off, stacking them up, 
make the mortar. Fill them in with the mortar. He told the priest, you go get some oil and get some sacrifices, some lambs and rams and bulls. We, we say, Whoa, wait a minute. We, we don't want to do those little things. God is a big God. Look at what he did with Noah. Look at what he did with, with Moses, with Abraham, with David. And then you get over to the New Testament and look what God did with Jesus on the cross. God has done some great, great things. But I'm living now in an age where I'm between the two. God's done some great things, Old Testament, New Testament. And God's going to do a great thing when he comes for us. But we're living in an area now where God's not doing a whole lot. No, this is the time when you need to be faithful teaching the Sunday school class and the life groups. This is the time when you ought to be faithful driving a bus, when you ought to be faithful giving a gift, teaching kids, you ought to be faithful loving your spouse and doing your job and witnessing to your neighbor, being a husband and a wife that honors God. We want to do something great for God, but I remind you this morning that the greatness of God is not determined by the results. It's determined by our obedience. You want to do great things for God? Be faithful in the little things. Just do the little things God tells you to do day by day. And he encourages and gives you more. Now, that's what we've got to do. We, we, if you want to rebuild, you want to renew, you've got to be obedient to the Word of God. It, it, buy all the positive thinking books you want to. I'm telling you, get into the Word of God and be obedient to what the Word of God says. Now, the second thing, when we are ready to rebuild, is you can always count on the fact that the devil's got a scheme against you. Just go ahead and count on it. They began working in chapter 3, and the opposition came in chapter 4. They stopped the rebuilding. They started again, and here comes the opposition again. You see, the moment you start to do something for God, the moment you say, we're going to reclaim our marriage, we're going to reclaim our home, I'm going to reclaim my testimony, I'm going to reclaim my church work, I'm going to get serious about serving, the moment you do that, just go ahead and expect the devil to have a scheme for you. Because that dude is always standing in the shadows waiting. Now, verse 3, you can expect the attack against the Word of God. I, uh, I, I don't know. I'm kind of aggravated with all the news junk, the stations. Nobody tells you the news anymore. They tell you what they think they said. And uh, so I, I kind of started watching C-SPAN. C-SPAN is kind of like a live stream here. Uh, you, you see exactly what's going on and you hear exactly. Some of it's boring, like watching paint dry. But I was watching a little bit of it uh, Friday, and one of our noted House of Representative leaders said this. And I went back, I thought, he didn't say that. And ah, he did. He said, God has no place in the House of Representatives. Hmm. Hmm. I thought you, oh, one of these days, them arrogant knees are going to bow. And every tongue going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You may think he don't have a place there, but I want to tell you, he's still over that. And you can expect the devil to attack the word of God and to attack God. When they got serious about the work of God, trouble comes. It's always predictable. Now, listen. We're, we're concerned this morning. We've, listen, this church has some of the best 
underlying ministries. We've got a security team that's second to none. I mean, if something, if something sounds like it's going off, everybody better duck because there's probably 50 guns in this thing this morning that's going to be pulled. Uh, I know I'm getting down behind the pulpit, and I've, I've looked at what it takes to put some other covering in front. I'm not real fond of these pulpits that are open here anymore. Amen. There ain't nowhere to hide. Yeah. We're, we're concerned of somebody coming in and, and shooting up and stuff like that. I know that and we need to be, and we're doing everything we can to protect against that. But the devil doesn't work that way. He sends his critics in to begin asking questions. That's what he does. He said, who, who, uh, who gave y'all authorization to build this temple? Who, who did that? Uh, listen, uh, we need to get y'all's names because uh, we, we need to write down everybody who's responsible for this. See, that's how the devil does. He'll come into a church. Well, I, I don't remember voting on that. Did we, who, who gave him authorization to do that? Did you hear what she said in that testimony this morning? Well, who, who, who gives her the right to get up here and talk like that? See, that's how the devil... Now, and I want to tell you how you can tell it's the devil because he's always asking cynical questions. They're like a fishing expedition. I look for Bill Dance every time you see someone. He's a great fisherman, if y'all didn't know that. I, it's always a fishing expedition. You say, well, what do supporters do? I'll tell you what they do. They walk out of this building and say, man, what a great testimony. They walk out of this building and say, wow, what a service. Man, the music was great. Oh, you, you don't think it was a little too loud? I mean, that bass, bless God, you're sitting over there, that thing's just humming. My whole bottom was shaking in that chair. You don't think it's a little too loud? <laughs> No, let me tell you, folk who are lined up with God, they want, whoo, what a day. But you go ahead and expect it because he's, he's coming. Uh, the second thing, the reasonable acceptance of the situation. Verse 5 says they didn't stop. They knew the devil was coming. They knew the opposition was coming, and they expected it. So they just went ahead and accepted. Uh, they didn't stop. The Bible says in verse 5, they knew the hand of God was with them and the eye of God was on them. See, in the book of Nehemiah, you remember Sanballat and Tobiah. They came by, Nehemiah was building up on the wall, and they said, hey, we got some Krispy Kreme donuts and some coffee. Come on down, we want to talk to you. You remember what Nehemiah said? <laughs> I'm doing a great work for God. Why would I want to leave that and come down there and talk to y'all? I'm not going to do that. They're going to keep on serving God. That's what we've got to do. Expect the devil to come. Uh, I'm not going to come down. The enemy being attacked by the enemy is part of the work of God. There's some things you just need to expect. If you're going to farm in Texas in July, go ahead and expect it to be hot. If you're going to Go to North Dakota in February. I want to go ahead and expect it to be cold. There's some things you just expect. If you jump off of this building out here, go ahead and expect to hit the ground. There's some things you just learn to accept. I heard about that guy that jumped off that 13-story building. 
They were watching him on the sixth floor there. And as he went by, he hollered, so far, so good. Yeah, he got six more to know. I mean, there's some things you just expect. So it's predictable. Expect the devil. You be obedient to the word of God. But count on the devil coming to scheme. But the third thing is, our God is always there. Whoo, have mercy. God was over them. If you're under his watch and under his wing, you're in a good place. You're in a good place. Could I tell you God has always come through for his people? He, th- there are 29 verses I've just portioned out here this morning. And the name God is mentioned in those 29 verses 23 times. You see, Ezra is not about Nehemiah or Ezra or Zechariah or Zerubbabel. Ezra is about God. It's about God. God always comes through. Adam and Eve had sinned and they didn't have a substitute. God came through, slew a lamb and covered their nakedness. Israel was in bondage and they didn't have a substitute. God came through with a Passover lamb and delivered them out of Egypt and carried them into the promised land. When they were by the Red Sea, they they had nowhere to go. There was no way to go through, but God came through. When Joshua fought against the battle of Jericho, it seemed hopeless, but God came through. When they were hungry, God came through and sent them manna and quail. When they were thirsty, God came through and sent them water. When they were hot, God came through and sent them a cloud to protect them. When they were cold, God came through and sent them a pillar of fire. God has always come through. Why are we doubting it now? He's going to come through. There's never been a more beautiful picture of God coming through than Calvary itself. We're lost. We're undone. There is no possible way that we can come into the presence of a holy God. But God comes through. Sent his only begotten son to die on a cross so that we could have everlasting life. We have an ally in God. Don't be discouraged. Don't, hmm, I I said it last week, I'll say it again. Help won't help tomorrow if you quit today. Help won't help tomorrow if you quit today. Uh, Dr. W.A. Criswell, pastor at, at one time, the largest church in the entire world, more than 23,000 members. Dr. Truett was pastor there for 50 years, and Dr. Criswell was pastor there for 50 years. That church had two pastors in 100 years. And uh, one of his friends was uh, Wallace Bassett, and they were talking about his uh, one day, and Wallace asked Dr. Criswell, how did you get saved? How, 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 tell me your evangelist. How did you get saved? And Dr. Criswell said, well, We had a revival in Oklahoma where I was just a little boy. And he said the evangelist, his name was John Hicks from Dallas. He came and he preached the revival and he stayed in our home. And he said that man took the time, dealt with me that week, and led me to Jesus. And Wallace Bassett said, that's quite a story, Dr. Criswell. He said, really? Why? He said, well, I'm a good friend of John Hicks. I was. He's, He's dead now. He said uh, he had an incurable disease. And he said, I walked in one day, and John Hicks was crying. 
And I said, John, what, why are you crying? He said, I thought it was health-related or something. He said, uh, I'm just brokenhearted over the fact that I've not done very much for Jesus. And Wallace said, you know, Dr. Criswell, he, he thought he hadn't done very much by his estimate. But he took the time to deal with a little old boy, seven years old, and tell him about Jesus. And thousands upon thousands were saved and touched. And he thought he hadn't done anything. Let me tell you, nobody knows what that little old boy, little old girl that you smiled at on a bus one day is going to do. Nobody knows what that little old boy, little old girl that you hand a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to and say, God bless, is going to end up being one day. Nobody knows what that person in Celebrate Recovery is going to end up being after God gets through molding them and making them what he wants them to be. Nobody knows what that person in your life group is going to do for the glory of God who's sitting there while you're discipling them. One of my favorite songs, one it sung at my funeral, is I don't regret a mile, I've traveled for the Lord. It says, I, I've dreamed many a dream that's never come true. I've seen them vanish at dawn, but enough of my dreams have come true to make me keep dreaming on. I prayed many a prayer that seemed no answer would come, though I'd waited so patient and long. But enough answers have come to my prayers to make me keep praying on. I've sown many a seed that's fallen by the wayside for the birds to feed upon. But I've held enough golden sheaves in my hands to make me keep sowing on. I've trusted many a friend that's failed me and left me to weep alone. But enough of my friends have been true blue to make me keep trusting on. I've drained a cup of disappointment and pain and gone many a day without a song. But I've sipped enough nectar from the roses of life to make me want to live on. And I don't regret a mile I've traveled for the Lord. I don't regret the times I've trusted in his word. I've seen the years go by many days without a song. But I don't regret a mile. I've traveled for the Lord. If I could just encourage you this morning, if God says move, then move. If, if, if God says, I'll lead you, then you go. Whatever the Spirit says do, you do. It starts with you. Now, when you decide you're going to do it, count on the devil coming through. He's going to be opposed to you. But you can also count on our Lord who never leaves us nor forsakes us. It begins with you. For some of you in this place this morning, that means you've got to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. You've got to quit doing excuses and all that stuff and just say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I want you to save me. I repent of my sins, come into my heart and my life, take over and be my Lord and Master. 
The Bible said, I'm not talking what Charles said. The Bible said, whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm telling you, it's not God's will that you perish this morning. That's your choice. Hell is not filled with people that God rejected. Hell is filled with people that rejected God. And the choice is yours. But most of us in this place, many of us this morning, are saved. But maybe we need to rebuild something. That choice is yours too. Maybe you need to rebuild a a home or a marriage or a work or testimony. Maybe there was a time when, boy, you got so excited telling people about Jesus, but you've kind of cooled off. There's so much happening, preacher. I mean, we've been in a pandemic and, oh, this snowstorm and, oh, I had my shot and, oh, and you can just keep on. I'm telling you, the problem lies with us. God is ready if we'll come to him. Father, we praise you today for loving us, taking care of us. Lord, we praise you for even when we're not doing what we ought to be doing, you stand with open arms saying, come unto me all you that labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Lord, would your spirit move in this place today? It's not about us. It's not about this church. Oh, God, it's about people that need you more than anything in this world. It's about people that are going to die and spend eternity separated from you unless somebody tells them about Jesus. It's about families that are going to be destroyed by Satan unless we stand on the Word of God. Be obedient. Would you have your way in this place today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you?